get started, uh, and let's uh, begin with prayer, asking God's blessing on this time. So, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear God, for your grace and for your mercy. Thank you, dear God, for the gift of life and being able to be here this morning with brothers and sisters, O Lord, of like mind, the same faith, O Lord. Father, we thank you, O Lord, that we can gather together and encourage one another, strengthen one another, hold each other accountable, O Lord. Um, most of all, we thank you, dear God, that we can come together and be in your word, that you can speak to us as a body, uh, in one voice, O Lord. And so, Father, I pray, O Lord, that this time that we spend together would be edifying to us, O Lord, it would be glorifying to your name. I pray, O Lord, that... Um, for each and every person and household represented here and in the other classes and the other building, O oh Lord, I pray, O oh Lord, that uh, you would grab our attention, O oh Lord, that you would hold every thought captive in our minds, O oh Lord, that you'd help us to hold every thought captive, O oh God. Um, Lord, you know all the needs, cares, anxieties, worries, O oh Lord, that, uh, that your people might have, O oh Lord. And so, Father, I pray right now that you would Minister to all our hearts, dear God, that these things would quiet down in our minds and in our hearts, O oh Lord, that we might fully uh, devote ourselves to the studying of your word. So, dear God, be glorified, O oh Lord, and bless this time together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so, if you remember last week, we were talking about the assurance of grace and salvation and uh, we covered uh, the first point. We said temporary believers, and we had the whole discussion about that phrase, temporary believers. That was kind of funky, and we didn't like it, but we qualified it with the and other unregenerate people, right? When we talked about these people. We said that they have false hopes and, and presumptions, namely in the light of some of the challenges that we mentioned we have as Christians and in our daily walk. We talked about the eternal perspective, uh, I believe someone mentioned something t- talking about like growth and the disciplines and all that. Um, to which I forgot to add, you know, sharing the gospel sometimes is, is a challenge for, for Christians as well too. But we talked about those things and we uh, talked about the difficulties that Christians have in their walk. But we first looked at who doesn't have the assurance of grace and salvation. And it's the unsaved people. To call them unregenerate, unsaved temporary believers, false believers, etc. And their hopes are in vain and will perish because their hopes are on the, uh, oh, the word just escaped me, the terrestrial, the, the temporal is the word that I'm looking for. And their hope will perish because what is the maximum hope that an unsaved person can have? Wealth, health, prosperity. And when that goes away, and it will go away. What are we here? 80 something, 85 years if, if we're, you know, going by the, I, I don't know what the life expectancy is. I think it dropped actually. Um, but that's it. That's the hope that the unsaved have. And so we know that they are, we talked about their false hopes in the sense uh, that those that are even by name only placing their trust in God by name only, but they're placing their trust in God for the stuff that God can provide, not for God himself. 
right? So we talked about those that they say, hey, well, we, we serve God and we serve in ministry. Why? Because we want God to bless us with A, B, and C, and D. And just like we mentioned, that is something that is fleeting because wealth can be gone in an instant, right? Uh, health can be gone in an instant, as many of us know uh, very well. But we talked about that, and we said their hope will perish. And then we said, yet, those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus and Him sincerely, endeavoring to walk in all conscience, good conscience, before Him, may be certainly assured in this life that they are in a state of grace. They may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Those of us that have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we've done so because our hope is not in what we can have here in this life, but it is in the hope of the glory of God, of being with God for eternity. We're not focused on the 85 plus years here. We're focused on the eternity with God, right? The if you exchange 85 for eternity, that's kind of a, it's kind of a bad deal, right? And so I think, uh, and it's sobering for us as well, too, those of us that we said that the struggle is not about us doubting our salvation, but how the assurance of grace and salvation should impact our daily walk. And we're going to get into that today. We were kind of setting the, uh, the bar uh, last week. And so uh, we talked about the fact that we belong to Jesus and we, we, no one can snatch us out of His hand. And, and what we said was that that assurance of salvation, right? It's, it's wisdom is knowledge and fear of the Lord. But we talked about that the knowledge of Scripture, the knowledge of God's promises for those that love Him and for those that endure, for those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that knowledge leads to wisdom when we... Live that truth out. When we live that we know that we are safe and secure in the hands of our Almighty God, that no one will snatch us out, that we're not going to sin our way out of salvation, that we can't lose our salvation. can't think that someone that's in fear of losing their salvation every day uh, is, is going to bed. Well, what's, the, um, what's the saying? Uh, Live like an Arminian, but sleep like a Calvinist, right? Uh, so go to bed knowing that you are safe but, uh, and secure, but live every day, you know, working out in obedience to, to God and His commands. And so wisdom is knowledge applied. That knowledge that we have from Scripture, that we are safe and secure, that Jesus Christ has paid for our sin. That knowledge that is taught so clearly throughout Scripture, it's taught from the pulpit here every Sunday. We would be wise to live life applying that knowledge. Right? Applying that knowledge would be wisdom in our life. And so, um, we read the last part of the uh, first point there is that this hope will never make us ashamed. Okay? And so, um, as we look at this next point, let's go to our next point, which is point number two. Again, I'm looking at the 1689 London Baptist Confession. Uh, it's it, not confection, confession. <laughs> and it's, um, it's chapter 18 there, assurance 
of grace and salvation. Let me take a look at this here. I'm trying to remember, actually. I don't think we finished that, that first point. Yeah, yeah, this, this, this point we haven't seen. Right? So that hope and that assurance of eternity, that hope and assurance of salvation and grace, this hope will never make those that are assured, that are certain, those that live and endeavor in good conscience to seek and obey God's commands, that have placed their faith and trust in Him, this hope will never make us ashamed. Right? And so, if we read Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Huge verse just right there by itself. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How reassuring is that? That we stand in a position of peace and harmony with our God. That we stand justified by faith through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in hope the glory of God. So the point says that this hope will not make us, them, ashamed. And the end of verse 2 there of Romans 5 says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So why will this hope not lead us into shame? As we just read, we've been redeemed. We are saved. We've been justified through faith in Christ Jesus. And we have the hope of the glory of God. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now we read in scripture you know, about boasting. <clears throat> and it's painted in a negative light. But what would you say about boasting in the hope of the glory of God? What, is, what does Paul mean by boasting in the hope of the glory of God? Anybody want to take a crack at that one? Say again? Rejoice. Rejoicing? I cheated a little bit. Go ahead. Sure. It's actually a passive verb. So it's not us boasting as much as the boast is put in us. That hope gives us reason to rejoice. But it's not even us who are boasting. You know, we're not showing off. We're not, you know, just passively. How could you not? How could you not be filled with this? You know, the hope it fills us with boasting. Right, right. And you, you hit the nail right on the head. It's not that we are like bragging about it or boasting about it. It's that our joy, like you said, our rejoice, is in that hope of God. So you say, that's my boast, right? Versus me saying, hey, I'm boasting about this. No, that's, that's the thing that I cling to. That's the thing that I can elevate, that I have hope in the glory of God. Glory of God meaning what? Yes, God is glorious, but also us partaking in that eternal glory with, with God. And so, uh, verse 5 in Romans says, and hope does not, it practically says it verbatim here, right, that we're not put to shame. And hope, this hope, does not put us to shame because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so scripture tells us that those of us that trust and hope in Jesus, that hope in God, we are not 
exercising a vain, perishable hope. The, the, the fact that it says you will not be put to shame implies what? You won't be made a fool. You won't, look, you won't play the part of the fool in the end. Right? We'll not be put to shame. You will not be proved wrong in the end. What are we ashamed of? We're usually ashamed of when we're wrong. Right? One of the worst things to do. And, uh, you know, lessons that I learned daily being married to this young woman over here is... is I'm wrong a lot, right? I'm wrong a lot. And what is the toughest thing to do, uh, as she can remind me sometimes, what is the toughest thing to do when you're wrong? Admit it, right? But praise God that we will never have to admit being wrong, placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's not going to happen. So you might have to say I'm sorry to your wife a billion times before you pass away. But you will never apologize for having shared the gospel, for having placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You will never be proven wrong. All right? So that, that's the end of that first point. It talks about the unregenerate and how their hope is fleeting and vain and perishing. It talks about those that have, are saved. Let's just put it that way. That our hope is not in vain and we, we, we can, our boast is eternity and glory with God. All right? And amen to that. The second point is this. Point number two in the confession under assurance of grace and salvation says this certainty, so everything we just talked about in the previous point is being summed up as this certainty is not merely an inconclusive or likely persuasion based on a fallible hope. I feel like it's being a little bit sort of redundant here, right? Certainty is not merely an inconclusive or likely persuasion based on a fallible hope. It is an infallible assurance of faith. What does it mean to be inconclusive? And don't say without a conclusion. So by, uh, it's not saying the odds are in our favor. I, I didn't hear, I'm sorry. It's not saying the odds are in our favor. It's not saying... That means I think I'm going to win. It's looking good. It's, you know... It's not like a luck of the draw. Or even just a percent, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can't say yes, I can't say no. It's... Okay. It's without... It's without an answer, basically. Without an answer, right? It's not open-ended. Yeah. Yeah. It's not open-ended. You all said the same thing. I just kind of wanted to get this. So, our certainty is not merely an open-ended or a likely persuasion based on a fallible hope. Fallible meaning what? Could lose. What was it? Fall. Could fall, could lose, could... Okay, fall about shaky, yeah. could have error, something that won't uh, stand the mustard, right? Mm-hmm. I almost said mustard. Uh, it's not something that is open-ended or just probable, like John said, that the odds are in our favor, right? Making me think of, uh, I forgot the movie name already. Hunger yeah, Games. Hunger Games. Uh, but it is an infallible assurance of faith. So, in light of the assurance of grace and salvation, we have been here with Scripture and in the confession points that are just summaries of what we can deduce from Scripture, learn from Scripture. We are encouraged that we are not, we haven't come to this to this faith, right, where that point one is kind of saying, hey, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're walking to an endeavoring 
to in good conscience obey the Lord's commandments and walking in the faith. Uh, what point two is saying is it's talking about that faith itself. It's saying that that faith is not something that just somebody convinced you, right? That faith is not something that you just uh, well the, the, the same way we I would say we align ourselves with certain cultural things or political parties, etc., and it's just the view we hold, etc. This is not one of those things. That that certainty that we have of our salvation is not just a fancy argument that was given to us and that's what we hold and because I was born and my parents were Baptist or whatever, this is what what I'm holding. No, it's not because of that. It is an infallible assurance of faith. Hebrews 6 This is uh, the author of Hebrews uh, speaking here. And he says, We desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. So the author of Hebrews here is saying, Hey, each one of you show diligence. What does diligence mean? Putting in the work. So how do we put in the work to realize the full assurance of our hope? What does putting in the work mean there? Right? And sometimes we read these verses and they sound great and we yes and they amen them, but we need to like dissect them, right? That's, that's why the preaching in, in, in this church is, is such a blessing, right? Pastor goes through and he gives us the Greek words or whatever. Remember in the beginning, some people were like, what are these Greek words or whatever it is, etc.? But how amazing is it to understand the word, know what scripture is saying, right? Each one of you showed the diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. What is the diligence? Yes, we're looking at the Word of God, but we are reading into this faith, this certainty, from cover to cover. Scripture explains God of creation. He's perfect. He's the standard of perfection. He explains that we are not God. That we are created and we fell short. Sin. Adam and Eve sinned. Uh, all have fallen short of the glory of God and sin. And it explains that we are in a fallen state before God. Talks about the promise of a redeemer and, and God making a way for us to be made right with Him. Through the person of Jesus Christ. And that in Jesus Christ... We have an eternal security that we can be with God forever. And so the diligence that the author of Hebrews is requiring or, or, or imploring, exhorting, the diligence to, as to realize the assurance of hope until the end is to know the Word of God. Then. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, that goes back to this, it's not a likely persuasion based on a fallible hope, right? Because there's many Christians today, let's, let's be real, there's many uh, people that, you know, they sit in the church, and they have the assurance of grace of salvation and name only, but they have not seen the evidence of it in Scripture. They just, I know what pastor said on Sunday. 
right? But what a difference it makes in our lives in terms of boldness for sharing the gospel, in terms of our desire doing it with, with what's the word I want to say, with a, with a wanting, because you are so assured of your salvation because you've investigated in scripture and you know that it's true and it's not just Pastor John saying it from the pulpit, Pastor Eric saying it, Pastor Len and all that saying it. I've seen it and read it for myself. That this salvation is secure. And that, more than a stock tip, right? Or a restaurant. How, how, how often do we go to a restaurant and we go, that restaurant was amazing. The ribs were as big as my head and, and etc. And they got the best. Uh, I can't even think of a food right now. So that's rare for me. <laughs> They've got the best steak there is, right? We become gospel preachers for those kinds of things. And we volunteer those things because we're so sure that this person is going to what? Like that steak. But yet, here, uh, with this assurance of hope that if we study and we know God's Word, it should drive us. But this great treasure, it's infallible, it's imperishable, it's for eternity. I've got to tell my loved ones. Right? Because they're on that 80-year plan and then done. They need to know about this treasure, about eternity. And you need to not just take the words that you heard in Sunday sermon. You need to go and support that sermon with your own study of the word that you know it and in wisdom apply, that knowledge apply and go and take that. Otherwise, what happens to us? We wind up sending links to sermons to people. Hey, yeah, you know, Jesus is so good. Oh, yeah, tell me about Jesus. I'm sending you this link. Watch that. And that was some of us in our earlier days. Verse 19 in Hebrews says, This hope we have as an anchor for the soul, a hope both sure and confirmed, and one which enters within the veil. But just reaffirm, reaffirming there that that's hope that we have is an anchor for the soul. What is the job of an anchor? To hold firmly, right? In a boat that's sitting in unsteady what? Unsteady waters, unsteady ground. An anchor grounds it and holds the position, right? Secure. This hope, this certainty, our, the certainty of our salvation is an anchor for our soul. It holds our position. Come the storms of whatever, we might say, okay, I lost the wealth. Okay, I lost the health. I lost whatever it was. I made a bad investment. I, I ruined the relationship, etc. But yet I stand firm with my anchor, the assurance of my salvation, and confirmed, uh, what does it say? A hope both sure and confirmed, and one which enters within the veil. A reference to what? Reference to Christ, right? What is the veil? What was the purpose of the veil separating what? In the temple, yeah. From the Holy of Holies, right? From the holy place where the the presence of God was. And this hope we have as an anchor, sure and confirmed. And this hope enters within the veil into the very presence of God. So this hope is founded on the blood and righteousness of Christ revealed in the gospel. This is the next 
piece of the uh, point there. Founded on the blood. This hope, founded on the blood and, uh, and righteousness of Christ, revealed in the gospel. Hebrews, continuing in Hebrews, verse 17. In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise. Who are the heirs of the promise? Well, Abraham's descendants. Who are Abraham's descendants? Everybody. Everybody. All God's children. All of God's children. Okay? In the same way, God desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness. There's that steady, sure, secure, infallible, right? The unchangeableness of his purpose guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, right? So we've got his promise and his oath. Reassured that it is impossible for God to lie. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. So we've got this assurance of salvation. Right? And so we know that our investment is eternal. And so we're encouraged here by the author of Hebrews to take strong encouragement and take hold of that hope set before us. What does that do to us? Taking hold, knowing that our our salvation promised by God, sworn to by God, secured in the blood of Jesus Christ, infallible and immovable, gives us a boldness. Does it not? Gives us a boldness to... Not just share the gospel. I feel like that's the cliche answer. It should make us bold to proclaim the gospel. But it also should... should, I I feel like I'm going too much. It also should embolden us in making our daily decisions. In knowing when to turn off that TV. When to not have that gossip session. When to tame that jealousy. I'm trying to think of quote-unquote Christian sins. Because we're not going to go out and murder someone, although you you never know. But those those real ones, the ones that, you know, Sunday school at Bible Baptist, they can go through, right? Jealousies, uh, gossips, uh, um, maybe, maybe showing preference. In church, not loving the brethren as, as much as we should. Those are like kind of like the real ones that we can face every day. But the fact that God has promised and secured that with His Word, that through Jesus we have salvation, we're made right with God, should embolden us to, to in light of that salvation that we have, to walk in a manner that pleases God. And that's cliche. We use it in a very cliche way, at least those that teach, right? We, because what is, it's very easy to say in our walk with God. But we have to expect, what is the walk with God? And then we've got to get into the nitty-gritty. Well, the walk with God is, you know, being slow to anger. It's, 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 it's again, not being jealous. It's, it's, it's being bold to share the gospel. It's, it's to not lie. Like when, when an embarrassing situation might come up and you lie or, or you just want to make something... Uh, you're dishonest because you were asked something and you knew you didn't want to, whatever it is, and so you think, you know, let me just say this so that everything's preserved, right? We, we, try, to, we, we try to come up with our own solutions to things, but our salvation emboldens us, emboldens us 
to walk in obedience to God because of it. Next point, it says, it is also built on the inward evidence of those graces of the Spirit about which promises are made. So, this hope is also built on the inward evidence of those graces of the Spirit about which promises are made. This was one I had to read several times, because it, it, and even right now I'm going back and I'm forgetting a little bit. It's also built on the inward evidence of those graces of the Spirit about which the promises are made. What are inward evidences of the graces of the Spirit? Now we're talking about graces, right? What are graces? What is what's grace mean? Unmerited favor, etc., etc., etc. So, if we have inward evidence of the graces of the Spirit, what does that mean exactly? If I take a blood pressure medicine and my blood pressure doesn't go down, I'm going to start taking the blood pressure medicine isn't working. If the Bible says certain things should be happening inside of me and I don't see those things happening inside of me, I know it's on me, but that's what I should see. If the Bible says for the Spirit and growing in as I see those things happening... It doesn't make this any more true, but it makes me realize the full assurance of my faith. And wow, you know, I used to tell that person off, and now I bite my tongue. Wow, I used to have that gossip session, and now I really, you know, you should see the Spirit doing what the Bible says the Spirit does. Exactly. It's basically, we, we, I, I love the way you put it, actually, right? With the example, I was kind of just saying, like, if we're alive, right, everything that's alive, that's to grow, right? Growing is an evidence that something is alive, right? I was going to make fun of you and the plants at home, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I was going to say, if you want a plant to die, give it to bed. No. But the evidence of life is, is growth. And so in our lives, as we have this hope, we know that we have the Holy Spirit, and, and, and I love how you tied it to the fruit of the Spirit. We should be seeing these things in our lives. And, and is, it, is it selfish to say, oh, you know what? I'm noticing this growth in my life. No! It's not selfish because God has given us the standard by which we should measure ourselves. That's what His commandments are. They're standards. Right? It just so happens that we're so fallen that those sta- we see completely how short we fall of those standards. But on this side of salvation, after the Spirit has been given to us, we should be able to read His Word and see, uh, am I wrong for saying this? The progress that we're making. Right? Yeah. And to the point where others should see it too. I, I would say, I would say we should see it first. Because we can demonstrate a false progress to others. But we, don't necess- we can't necessarily... Uh, we're so wicked, I guess we could fool ourselves as well too. But we would see these things in our own lives first. Right? So it's built on the inward evidence of those graces of the Spirit about which promises are made. Now, notice this. This progress is not based necessarily on our own works... This progress is promised. 
by God. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. Who's the Holy Spirit? Going back to assurance, He is the guarantee of our salvation. So, my exhortation to you today, whoever, whoever you are, and, and, to, and to me is, we need to be in a constant state of, uh, I was going to say reflection, but what's the word I'm looking for? Examination. Right? We have to be in a constant state of examination in our lives. I think people misunderstand Christianity, what, what assurance of salvation, and we're going to get to that in a second, if, if I'm not too long way, oh wow, we might not get to it. <laughs> It'll be to, con- to be continued. So other day, later. This is kind of maybe back on what you said. We can fool people. We can fool ourselves. I believe we can. And to reinforce even what John said about the the inward. All right. It, 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 it's not only our actions, but our work. Right. Really, he said we don't have that desire about those gossips. We don't have that desire any longer. So we would be the first to to be able to measure that, to be able to realize that 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 I don't have that desire anymore. Right. Before I don't do it, it's not—it's not the act. Part of it, I don't want to go too far, but yeah, inwardly dealing with the moment. Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And so, and so we have that. Let's move on. Let's move on to the, our next point. It says it is further. In, by it, we're talking about the assurance and the, the hope that we have. It's further based on the testimony of the spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits. We've got the Spirit witnessing with our spirits that we are children of God. Everybody knows Romans 8, 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Again, right? It implies what? That we were in fear before. Why? Of course we're in fear. Because we were standing against God. We, we, we didn't have the eternal perspective. We, we placed a temporal investment in life. You haven't received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. So it's based on the testimony of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption. Talked about this with the youth extensively, right? Adoption. What a beautiful concept adoption is. Right, and I, I told the youth then, I gotta love these guys because they showed up, right? These kids, yeah. But think about adoption. Adoption implies a choosing. It implies there's no history there with this child. It's just it's grace. It's a picture of grace. That this child, although I didn't, a mother didn't experience the, the pains of birth and all that, because there's a bond there, right, with mothers and their kids that carried you for ten months or, or whatever it was, and, and, and nine months. Some of them might be ten. I don't know. It's very bad for you, for a Carried you for nine months, uh, and there's that bond that that she remembers the pain that she went through and all that. Uh, fathers remember, you know, the sleepless nights and all that. But then adoption is I'm choosing to love you as my own. You did nothing to earn this, but I'm choosing to love you of my own. Knowing that it's going to lead to those sleepless nights, 
doctor's visits, heartbreaks, all these things that come along with the child. But yet, I'm going to choose to love you as my own. So I didn't have a choice but to love Izzy, G, and these guys or whatever. But if I'm adopting someone, I'm intentionally choosing, electing to love that person. And that's what we say here, the spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit witnesses to our spirit that I am truly a child of God. What a beautiful, what a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, As a fruit of this assurance, our hearts are kept both humble and holy. And for this, I'll just read these verses that back this up. It's in 1 John 3. So see how great a love the Father has given to us that we would be called children of God. How humbling is that, right? God loved us and we're called children of God and we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not been manifested as yet what we will be. Now we're children of God. Again, that grace that was shown to us by God humbles us if we truly look at our lives and realize the sinners that we were and are. To be called a child of God there's almost a duality in that, right? There's, there's like this reason for joy and, and almost like that boast. But I've got to believe that there's a humility that comes along with that too. Oh, Lord. As wretched as I was, you see, uh, what's the lyric to that song? You see the depths of my heart and you love me the same. Right? To be called a child of God We know that when He is manifested, Christ Jesus, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. So there's that humility that we are children of God despite everything that we were, but because of His promise and His grace, we have been made children of God. And and yet we're called to be holy. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him, what? Purifies Himself. Just as he is pure. So just as a child imitates their mom, their dad, we being adopted now, a child of God, as the verse says, we're to imitate our Heavenly Father. Right? We're to imitate Christ Jesus, our, our God, our Lord and Savior. And in Scripture, in other Scriptures, we're even to imitate those that are faithfully following Christ. Right? Um, where are we? we got about five minutes? You got about uh, yeah. six minutes. Yeah. Beautiful. Give me an extra one. I like that. <laughs> this infallible assurance is not such an essential part of faith that it is always fully experienced alongside faith. Now, I read this and I'm like, sounds bad. Like, what? This infallible, right? It qualifies it. In such a grandiose way, this infallible assurance is not such an essential part of faith that is always fully experienced alongside faith. But true believers may wait a long time and struggle with many difficulties before obtaining it. Can someone just give me the plain English of this one? Am I, is this offensive? This infallible assurance? It's not so essential. What's it say? John, you're good at rewording things. I, I, I hope I'm reading 
Right. They don't have to have the assurance to have the salvation. Right. You know, the salvation's yours, whether you're assured or not. But what you want to experience and realize the full assurance of that gift of that right. grace. And yeah, I read it as I read it as you might not have that full assurance right off the right off the start, right? So it, it's it, in other words, the assurance. This is where we can get a little. This is where this is what we. I said we weren't going to go into doubting our salvation, but this is where a lot of people struggle. Mm-hmm. That they surrender their lives to Christ. They're still struggling with, and then they, they think, well, because I'm not absolutely sure, I'm not saved. Right? And what this is saying is, hey, that assurance is not part of salvation. Right? That assurance is not the saving faith that you place in Christ. This is an assurance that comes as a fruit of your salvation as you diligently search the scriptures, as you grow in your walk with God. This assurance is not a saving assurance. Right? It's, a, it's something that grows out. Kind of like going to the gym, right? You show up to the gym the first day. If you're like me, you walk out. You even got the little walk when you... The very first day. But you're not fit from the first day that you go to the gym, right? You've got to continue to walk and you'll, you'll be stronger. Your muscles will develop, etc. Or like me, that'll never happen and you'll go to the gym, right? But true believers may wait a long time and struggle with many difficulties before obtaining. I don't think we need to unpack this one too much. It's kind of a no-brainer, but it says, yet, with the enabling of the Spirit to know the things freely given to them by God, they may attain this assurance using ordinary means appropriately without any extraordinary revelation. God provides. right? God saves us. He equips us. Gives us His Holy Spirit. And like we said before, there has to be growth. When there's life, when, when they move from death to life, there has to be growth. Right? We don't need some uh, exceptional, we don't need the sky to roll open in God to say, be assured. Although we have it in Scripture. Right? That no one can snatch us out of His hand. And so, I'm going to skip some because next week is not me, but I want to read the last point that we have. Um, Yet they are never completely lacking the seed of God, the life of faith, love of Christ, and the brethren, sincerity of heart, or conscience concerning their duty. Out of these graces, through the work of the Spirit, this assurance Assurance may at the proper time be revived. So I skipped the point that talked about even Christians that sometimes falter through some temptation or through a sin perhaps that resurfaced in their life. Right? You think of like an infidelity in marriage or you think a lot of that where a lot of new Christians might think, well, you know, that person's not saved. And I would I would just submit to you that even truly saved Christians commit big sins. If we want to classify sins as small or big, they're all huge before a perfect and holy God. But I think sometimes, and and we can be quick to judge when a brother or sister falls in some kind of sin, maybe doubt their salvation. That's another point. I didn't even think about that one, where we doubt other people's salvation. Um, But 
speaking of these people, it says they, they are never completely lacking the seed of God. Talking to the point that though we falter, though we fail, God restores us, right? We are not lacking the seed of God. What, what is the seed of God? It means that we are not still descendants, right? We're still children of the promise. I mean, just look at the life of David, right? How he failed brutally. Murder, adultery, etc., etc. Yet the promise of God was still with him. He was still the seed of God. The life of faith, the love of Christ, and the brethren. That's where I wanted to kind of focus here, right? That we've got the brethren. I think it's very important that as we walk, as we are assured of, of our salvation, we'll end here because uh, this was the point that I wanted to end on anyway. Uh, it's very important. And this is now looking outwardly. Right? We're examining ourselves that the assurance of salvation should embolden us to want to preach the gospel to others. It should embolden us to make the right decisions in our daily lives. It should uh, embolden us to persevere, is what we've been reading. And also, uh, this last point here, the love of Christ, we know that that's not fleeting, and the brethren. That because of the assurance of our salvation... We need to understand, it is not a unique deal to me. I need to know that Joey has that deal too, if he's placed his trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And that if Joey were to falter and fail, I'm not going to discard him. But I'm going to restore him. That the love of Christ and the love of the brethren would work with Joey or anybody else. Uh, I didn't mean to pick Joey. I don't mean, etc. You know what I mean? But that we have the assurance. We must know that everyone who has placed their faith and trust in God is His child. And so we love them to restore them. That we take them from their place of, of maybe not being in harmony with the brethren or in harmony with what Scripture says is what God demands of us and work in that love of Christ. We see the love of Christ and the brethren. Um... To restore them to their walk, to lift them up, right? Uh, all of those things, our brothers, the Word of God, the love of Christ, the Holy Spirit, are graces of God. And says, out of these graces, through the work of the Spirit, this assurance may at the proper time be revived. So we'll end with Psalm 42.5. It says, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Wait for God. For I shall still praise him for the salvation of his presence. So let you, let, let you, let you, let's be assured of our salvation. I know that we don't doubt, most of us, or we've been here for some time, we don't doubt our salvation. But let's let that assurity of our salvation drive our daily walk. Not just towards examining ourselves, but loving our brethren reassuring them as well of these truths. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, dear God, for the certainty of salvation. Thank you, dear God, for your oath and your promises, O Lord, for your spirit that you have given us, O Lord, that won't depart from us, that we have an infallible assurance, that we have an eternal hope and eternal security in you, dear God. And so, as we realize, and as we 
unpack in your scripture, O oh Lord, the truths of this eternal salvation, of this secure salvation, dear God. I pray that through your spirit, through remembering the love of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made, and through the love of our brothers and sisters, that we are children of God. Pray, dear God, that you would prepare our hearts, that we would be a blessing to one another, dear God, that when those times of difficulty come, where we waver, we falter, we feel insecure, dear God, that you have provided your spirit, your word, and each other here to lift us up, O oh Lord. And for that, dear God, I thank you. I praise, dear God, that we would faithfully serve uh, to love the brothers, to love Christ, O oh Lord, um, to glorify you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.